Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Welcome. Nine o'clock. Nice to have you guys with us on this beautiful morning. And uh, I always like to check the temperature just to let you know it's 71 degrees, dropped down to 63, 64 last night. It's just a really, really nice, nice morning. Beautiful weather. So encouragement for you guys to uh, come down and see us when you can. So I'm going to go Ezekiel 39 and 40 because it only gave us one thing this morning. So I'm going to go with two. So this day in trivia, better move it up, move it up and get going here. First U.S. automobile race happened on this day. Let's see. It happened in 1895. The race almost didn't happen as it was initially banned by police who would not allow automobiles to drive on city streets. It ran from Chicago to Evanston, Illinois, and back 54 miles. It was won by Charles and Frank, somebody, with the average speed of seven miles an hour. <laughs> Street racing, seven miles an hour, dangerous stuff. Cool-looking automobiles. It looked like just a horseless carriage, what they used to call them. Looked more like a carriage than a car with the big uh, wagon wheels on it. And I think the little motor in the back, and they had a little, a little stick in front of them to steer the front wheels. Pretty cool. That would have been fun to ride one of those. Uh, first successful flyby of Mars was 1964 on this day by the Mariner 4. It captured the first images of another planet ever from deep space. Well, that's enough of that. Look at a couple of dad jokes. And let's see where we are. We should be right about here. What do you call a factory that makes okay products? <laughs> a satisfactory. <laughs> Satis uh, they're okay. Okay. <laughs> this is one for me. Uh, this is me talking to math. Dear math, grow up and solve your own problems. <laughs> I agree. What did the janitor say when he jumped out of the closet? Supplies. <laughs> We've done that one before, but it's worth doing again. So we can now move over to the reading for this morning. Ezekiel 39 and 40. Father God, thank you for this morning. And we do ask that you would guide us in our minds, in our spirits, and help us to understand, especially... This first chapter, God, is very, very prophetic, and we desire to get the correct understanding of it. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you missed us um, yesterday, means you weren't on the podcast for us. We take a day off on Sunday, and on the podcast, we're always delayed a day, but they usually got it yesterday. Anyway, we did the recording for Ezekiel 37 and 38. And if you'd like to catch that, go to Mana for Breakfast on any one of the major podcast formats. Check that out if you want to catch up. Because 37 is a very important um, chapter, the Valley of Dry Bones. And to keep things kind of rolling in context. Now, 39. And you, son of man, prophesy against 
Gog, and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around, drive you on, take you up from the remote parts of the north, and bring you against the mountains of Israel. I will strike your bow from your left hand, and dash down your arrows from your right hand. You will fall on the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and your peoples who are with you. I will give you as food to every kind of predatory bird and beast of the field. You will fall on the open field, for it is I who have spoken, declares the Lord God. I will send fire upon Magog and those who inhabit the coastlands in safety, and you will know that I am the Lord. My holy name I will make known in the midst of my people, and I will not let my holy name be profaned any more. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Behold, it is coming, and it shall be done, declares the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who inhabit the cities of Israel will go out and make fires with the weapons and burn them, both shields and bucklers, bows and arrows, war clubs and spears, and for seven years they will make fires of them. They will not take wood from the field or gather firewood from the forest, for they will make fires with the weapons, and they will take the spoil of those who despoiled them and seize the plunder of those who have plundered them, declares the Lord God. On that day I will give Gog a burial ground there in Israel, the valley of those who pass by east of the sea, and it will block off those who would pass by. So they will bury Gog there with all his horde, and they will call it the valley of Ammon Gog. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burning them in order to cleanse the land. Even all the people of the land will bury them, and it will be to their renown on the day that I glorify myself, declares the Lord God. They will set apart men who will constantly pass through the land, burying those who were passing through even those left on the surface of the ground in order to cleanse it. At the end of seven months, they will make a search as those who pass through the land pass through. And anyone who sees a man's bones, then he will set up a marker by it until the, the bearers have buried it in the valley of Ammon Gog. And even the name of the city will be Hamona. So they will cleanse the land. As for you, son of man, thus says the Lord God, speak to every kind of bird and to every beast of the field. Assemble and come, gather from every side to my sacrifice, which I am going to sacrifice for you as a great sacrifice on the mountains of Israel, that you may eat flesh and drink blood. You will eat the flesh of mighty men and drink the blood of princes of the earth, as though they were rams, lambs, goats, and bulls, all of them fatlings of Bashan. So you will eat fat until you are glutted, drink blood until you are drunk from my sacrifice, which I have sacrificed for you. You will be glutted at my table with horses and charioteers and mighty men and all the men of war, declares the Lord God. And I will set my glory among the nations, and all the nations will see my judgment, which I have executed in my hand, which I have laid them. And the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord, their God, from that day onward. The nations will know that the house of Israel went into exile for their iniquity, because they acted treacherously against me. And I hid my face from them, 
So I gave them into the hand of their adversaries, and all of them fell by the sword. According to their uncleanness and according to the transgressions, I dealt with them. I hid my face from them. Verse 25, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Now I will restore the fortunes of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel, and I will be jealous for my holy name. They will forget their disgrace and all their treachery, which they have perpetuated against me when they live securely on their own land with no one to make them afraid. When I bring them back from the peoples and gather them from the lands of their enemies, then I shall be sanctified through them in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God because I made them go into exile among the nations and then gathered them together to their own land and I will leave none of them there any longer. I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I will have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Well, we'll stop there before we go into 40. Look at it a little bit. There is lots of stuff going on here. He's in Babylon, prophesying to his people that feel very beaten down and are wondering why they're in captivity course and thinking some of them are thinking they're defeated others are thinking no no the false prophets are saying no you're going to be going back into power and we're only here a few a year or two and we're going to go back home and uh and so they're getting this prophecy to say look you have been conquered it is because of your iniquity that you were brought into babylon and it's not because yahweh is weak no not at all is because Yahweh has chosen to bring you into captivity so that he can correct you, discipline you, and bring you back to himself. And just know, this is this incredible prophecy for them to know, that those who touch Israel touch the apple of God's eye. And that God has a plan and a purpose and a love for Israel. So he says, in the future days, all these nations are going to come against you. There's going to be Gog and Magog, and they're, the, the Gog of the ruler coming against them as Magog. This land of the north, be it Russia, be it Turkey, be it an alliance, be it the, I don't think it's the United States, but there are people that think that. Um, will, or or you could even, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of people that suggest very interesting things. Uh, but be that as it may. It seems to be an alliance. And when they come against you, it's going to be a slaughter. And God says it's going to be a complete slaughter. And he says it's going to knock the arrows out of the sky. You know, you, you read that and you think of the Iron Dome. Just go, wow, that's amazing. I'm not even sure the Iron Dome was up and operating the first time I taught Revelation. But um, arrows could easily be an idiom for missiles being launched. Now, the fire coming down, God destroying them, is it nuclear? Is it something else? You know, God was pretty proficient in the Old Testament about uh, killing people with hailstorms in the battles. And it's, uh, it's interesting that there is video and proof that there's hailstones that are encapsulate methane and can actually be on fire as they come down as out of the sky. So there is the possibility that God could literally rain down fire, but fire is also, uh, when you look it up, 
as far as what the definition is, it's something that is oxidizing rapidly, that's, that's combusting. So you could apply that to a nuclear explosion as well, the fire from the sky. And of course, the bodies being marked out and putting markers by to be buried sounds very reminiscent of what you do in a nuclear strike to bury the contaminated bodies and burn the bodies. You need to get rid of the contamination. So people that are experts in warfare and nuclear warfare say this is really, really reminiscent. This sounds exactly like what you would do after a nuclear strike and how you would need to clean it up. As far as the weapons burning, don't know. They're probably going to come up with something completely different than what I'm looked into investigate but the russians and even the americans i guess have experimented with something called lignostone i can't i think that's right it's a highly highly compressed wood fiber and of course super dense and strong and they have experimented with making weapons out of it now they don't have mass weapons of it now and so it's might be something totally different because I think we're pretty close to this battle. But when it happens, it will be possible to burn these weapons. Now, maybe, again, burning is something different. Maybe that's going to have a whole different type of weapon that operates on some kind of um, battery or something that, that produces power that could be considered as, again, combusting. You know, to use that word of being able to be burn them or something, you, you can rapidly oxidize or something to gain the energy. I don't know, but it's going to happen, and it's going to it's going to happen to this. There's going to be so many weapons there that the people. And interesting, why would they need to burn anything? Well, it's going to be cold. Do they have electricity? Is the electricity been completely wiped out at this point? If it's in the tribulation, and you see what's going on in the tribulation, it's likely it's some. It's going to be really dark times so the the upside of all this is even though this is a very grim time and we see this huge slaughter is that israel now is fully back under the protection of god supernaturally israel has been under the providence of god we've been seeing the providence of god working in amazing ways um protecting Israel through the years. But having seen the miraculous like Israel has experienced through its history in major ways, overtly miraculous, certainly the birth of the nation, all that stuff, miraculous, the winning the war, miraculous, and, and that could be simply put as miraculous, but in a providential, it's providence, working the miraculous in a natural way. This is going to be no doubt. People are going to say they're going to know it's God because Israel's not going to have the abilities. It's somehow he's going to do it where people are going, that was not Israel's military that did that. They're going to go, that was God. So the, all the world's going to know that God has placed his hand over Israel for protection. And God is establishing Israel once again to be the, the place where Jesus is going to come back and set up his kingdom. So can be an amazing time. So let's move on now to chapter 40. The vision of the man with the measuring rod in the 25th year of our exile at the beginning of the year on the 10th month of the 14th year after the city was taken. On the same day, the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me there. 
In the vision of God, he brought me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain. And on it, on the south, there was a structure like a city. So he brought me there. And behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze with a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand. And he was standing in the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, see with your eyes, hear with your ears, and give attention to all that I'm going to show you. For you have been brought here in order to show it to you. Declare to the house of Israel all that you see. Verse 5. Behold, there was a wall on the outside of the temple all around. And in the man's hand was a measuring rod of six cubits, each of which was a cubit and a handbreadth. So he measured the thickness of the wall, one rod, and its height, one rod. Then he went to the gate, which faced the east, went up to its steps and measured the threshold of the gate, one rod in width, and the other threshold was one rod in width. The guard's room was one rod long and one rod wide, and there was five cubits between the guard's room and the threshold of the gate by the porch. Of the gate facing inward was one rod. Then he measured the porch of the gate facing inward, one rod. He measured the porch of the gate, eight cubits, and its side pillars, two cubits, and the porch and the gate, which was faced inward. The guard's room of the gate towards the east numbered three on each side. The three of them had the same measurement. The side pillars also had the same measurement on each side. And he measured the width of the gateway, 10 cubits, and the length of the gate, 13 cubits. There was a barrier wall, one cubit wide, in the front of the guard's room on each side, and the guard's room was six cubits square on each side. And he measured the gate from the roof of the one guard room to the roof of the other, a width of 25 cubits from one door to the door opposite. And he made the side pillars 60 cubits high. The gate extended around to the side pillars of the courtyard. From the front of the entrance gate to the front of the inner porch of the gate was 50 cubits. There were shuttered windows looking towards the guard room and towards their side pillars within the gate all around and likewise for the porches. And there were windows all around inside and each side pillar were palm tree ornaments. Then he brought me into the outer court and brought me there. And behold, there were chambers and pavement made for the court all around. 30 chambers faced the pavement. The pavement, that is the lower pavement, was by the side of the gates corresponding to the length of the gates. And he measured the width from the front of the lower gate to the front of the exterior in the inner court, a hundred cubits on the east and on the north. As for the gate on the outer court, which faced the north, he measured its length and its width. It had three guards rooms on each side and its side pillars and its porches had the same measurement of the first gate. Its length was 50 cubits and its width 25 cubits. Its window and its porches and its palm trees and its tree ornaments had the same measurements as the gate which faced towards the east and it was reached by seven steps and its porch was in front of them. The inner court had a gate opposite the gate of the north as well as the gate of the east and he measured a hundred cubits from gate to gate. Then he led me towards the south, and behold, there was a gate towards the south, 
and he measured the side pillars and its porches according to those same measurements. And the gates and its porches had windows all around like those other windows. The length was 50 cubits and the width was 25 cubits. There were seven steps going up to it. And its porches were in front of them. And it had palm tree ornaments on each side pillar. One in each side. The inner court had a gate towards the south, and he measured from the gate to gate towards the south a hundred cubits. Then he brought me to the inner court by the south gate, and he measured the south gate according to those same measurements. Its guard rooms, also its side pillars and its porches, were according to those same measurements. And the length of its porches had windows all around. It was 50 cubits long, 25 cubits wide. There were porches all around 25 cubits long and five cubits wide. Its porches were toward the outer court and the palm tree ornaments were on its side pillars and its stairway had eight steps. He brought me into the inner court towards the east and he measured the gate according to those same measurements. Its guard rooms also, its side pillars and its porches were according to those same measurements and the gate and its porches had windows all around it. It was 50 cubits long, 25 cubits wide, and its porches were toward the outer court, and the palm tree ornaments were on its side pillars on each side, and its stairway had eight steps. And he brought me to the north gate, and he measured it according to those same measurements. With its guard rooms and its side pillars and its porches, and the gate had windows all around, and the length was 50 cubits, and the width 25 cubits. Its side pillar was towards the outer court. The palm tree ornaments were on its side pillars on each side and its stairway had eight steps. The chamber with its doorway was by the side pillars at the gate. And there they rinsed the burnt offerings. In the porch of the gate, there were two tables on each side on which to slaughter the burnt offering, the sin offering and the guilt offering. And on the outer side, as one went up, the gateway towards the north, there were two tables. And on the other side of the porch of the gate were two tables. Four tables were on each side of the gate, or eight tables on which they slaughter sacrifices. For the burnt offering, there were four tables of hewn stone, a cubit and a half long, a cubit and a half wide, and one cubit high, on which they lay the instruments in which they slaughter the burnt offerings and sacrifice. The double hooks, one handbreadth in length, were installed in the house all around and on the tables was the flesh of the offering. From the outside of the inner gate were chambers of the singers and the inner court, one of which was the side of the north gate on its front towards the south and one on the side of the south gate facing the north. He said to me, this is the chamber which faces towards the south intended for the priests to keep charge of the temple. The chamber which faces towards the north is for the priest to keep charge of the altar. These are the sons of Zadok, whom from the sons of Levi come near to the Lord to minister to him. He measured the court, a perfect square, a hundred cubits long and a hundred cubits wide, and the altar was in front of the temple. And he brought me to the porch of the temple, measured each side pillar for the porch, five cubits on each side, and the width of the gate was three cubits on each side. The length of the porch was 25 cubits, and the width, 11 cubits. And at the stairway by which it was ascended were columns belonging to the side pillars, one on each side. 
So you have that all in your mind, right? <laughs> Perfectly. Uh, I recommend that you go to YouTube and type in Ezekiel's Temple, and there should still be there a really good walkthrough on a computer-generated concept using these measurements so you can see in your mind how this looked. I can't verify how accurate it is. I don't know if anybody can, but as far as checking all the measurements, those kind of things, but you get an idea. So God's giving them. Remember, this is now the hope of their future. Their temple is destroyed or about to be destroyed. It's From memory, it seems like this might have come before the destruction of the temple, but it's I don't remember. Regardless, their temple is destroyed or going to be destroyed. And they're going to be there for 70 years, devastated and lamenting and crying over their temple. And here we have this prophecy and this assurance that the temple is going to be built again. Now, this seems to be pointing to the Millennial Temple, but there's aspects of it that apply to Zerubbabel's temple certainly with the places for the sacrifice of the meat, because we don't believe that's going to be happening in the Millennial Temple. I have to get more up on my temple measurements to, to compare with Zerubbabel's with the Millennial Temple. But this is a promise. The most important thing is it's the promise coming to Israel that there's a permanence that's coming with the presence of God. See, all of this math and all of this being brought to their mind would not be to them the focus. They, they need the measurements. God's given them the measurements. Here's the plans. But looking beyond the plan was the reality that God says, once again, I'm going to plant my presence in your midst. I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. There's going to be fellowship reestablished. How reassuring was that for those people in captivity. How reassuring to people who have sinned greatly and blown it immensely that God says, even though you went away from me, you were unfaithful to me, you committed all this adultery, and I have every reason to wipe you out, I've decided not only to forgive, but to bless and give you what you don't deserve. And that is complete pardon and complete into, well, I should say, to remarry you. This is the Hosea whole illustration. I'm going to take you back to myself, forgive you, wash you clean, and bring you into my presence and have a wedding feast. So this is the illustration we get in the Old Testament. We see how that applies. We see that how that works out through Christ, through the blood on the cross, and how we are going to see this, how Israel is going to be reestablished. But now, through the lens of the cross, and how that is all going to be worked out when he comes back after this great battle. All this is going to happen after the great battle of, of Gog and Magog against Israel. Charles Spurgeon now, doing what God can bless. The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all thou settest thine hand unto. Deuteronomy 28. If we obey the Lord our God, he will bless that which he gives us. Riches are no curse when blessed of the Lord. When men have more than they require for their immediate need and begin to lay up in storehouses, 
the dry rot of covetousness and a blight of hard-heartedness is apt to follow the accumulation. But with God's blessing, it is not so. Prudence arranges the savings. Liberality directs the spending. Gratitude maintains consecration and praise sweetens enjoyment. It is a great mercy to have God's blessing and one's iron safe and one's banking account. What a favor is made ours by the last clause. The Lord shall bless thee in all that thou settest thy hand to. We would not put our hand to anything upon which we dare not ask God's blessing. Neither would we go about it without prayer and faith. But what a privilege to be able to look for the Lord's help in every enterprise. Some talk of a lucky man. The blessing of the Lord is better than luck. The patronage of the great is nothing to the favor of God. Self-reliance is all very well, but the Lord's blessing is infinitely more than all the fruit of talent, genius, or tact. Amen. Father, thank you for those words and those blessings and getting a true understanding of what it is to be accepted in your presence and be blessed by you. Thank you, God. We have this assurance of our future. It is going to be a rocky road, but we know it's all in preparation for your return and you're setting up your kingdom. And so, God, help us to take the words here seriously, understanding that your prophetic word has always come true. So we pray for Israel, pray for the hearts of the people that they would come back to you now, that there would be a revival, Father, as they were in Babylon for their time of correction and, and suffering there for many years. God, we now pray that they're, now that they're back in the land, that their eyes would be open, the veil would come down as much as possible, God, before this great day of Gog and Magog. We know there's a future grand blessing for them, but they're going to have to go through this horrible war and the whole time of the tribulation to get there. So we pray that you would touch as many, many as possible. God, continue to open their eyes and help them find their way to Christian ministries, find their way to the truth, and listen to the New Testament being read, as so many of them have been prohibited by their synagogues and rabbis. Just help them, God, to make a fair judgment, to listen to your word, and, and correlate it all to the Old Testament, and then by your spirit, draw them in. You are a great God. You are a loving God, and we want to see God, our friends in Israel, saved. And we also want to see them secure. So we ask you to continue to guard them with the Iron Dome and the Laser Dome and all the other things they're coming up with in their jets. Keep them safe, God, and, and supernaturally use their uh, instruments of protection to, to protect them because we know that not only Israel, but Iran, but Russia and Turkey and um, different other Muslim nations are planning to attack they are looking right now at when and where. So God, protect them and help them in this time of trial to come to know you in a big way. So thank you for what you're doing there. Thank you, Bowen Carlos is now done with his radiation. We thank you for that greatly, God. We want to lift up Abigail, Dean and Kim's daughter, who's going to have surgery on Wednesday morning and have her tonsils out. God, hoping that that takes out the the virus causing the sickness in her. 
we would pray a big prayer, God, that they would work that out for her. We want to pray for Maria Elena with her cancer, Karen Scoot with hers, and Celeste, and um, the healing process you're doing. And Hank and his wife, God, that that continues. Nabil and Susie, that they maintain their health and continue, God, their joyful hearts and ministry and continue to use them, God, in a mighty way. And uh, there's been a number of other people, God, that are still dealing with situations. Mary with her upcoming surgery and her hearing. God bless her and that whole thing. We just ask for a hand of, of healing and direction for surgeons and direction for medication, God, as we desire to follow you, but we want the right medical information, especially now with these new viruses going along, these new vaccines coming around. God, we just pray you would make available to us the right medical information to make the right choices. God, help us be diligent, and we pray for our governments to be transparent and to provide us with the tested and approved and correct information. We just desire, God, that uh, there not be any um, deception going on, as there has been, it seems, all over the place. So we pray for that and pray that you would uh, not allow these governing world authorities to place vaccine mandates um, to travel on all the countries. God, we pray that that would come down so that people could travel freely to the countries they desire to travel to. Thank you for the ability of people to travel here. We thank you for their presence with us and ask you to bless them richly. Thank you for our time together, God, for what you did yesterday in service and touching hearts and bringing brothers and sisters together for a sweet time and fellowship, everyone online as well. Thank you for them and thank you for the fellowship we do have every single day as we read through your words. So we bless you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. That will do it. So thank you guys very much for being with us and continue to let people know about Manna for Breakfast as for the next month we want to encourage people to um, get ready to join us to read the Word in a Year because many people go, ah, I don't want to start now, it's at the end of the year, uh, you know, I'll, <laughs> New Year's resolution, I'll do it next year. <laughs> so maybe we can get them to do it next year. God bless you all. Keep looking up. We will see you again tomorrow. Bye-bye.